Hi, this is Tina Powell, host of In The Suite, where I sit down with top women leaders and some of the biggest names in the financial services and the wealth management industry. Together, we'll discover some of their best secrets and top strategies to grow a great business, build a strong brand, and lead teams in the 21st century. I hope you'll enjoy hearing their amazing personal stories of triumph, trepidation, and transformation in hopes of becoming better leaders ourselves. The time for you to lead is now, and you're in the suite. Stephanie Bogan knows how to build a life and a business without limits. As CEO and founder of Limitless Advisor Coaching, Stephanie seems to have engineered the perfect blueprint to teach financial advisors how to build a wildly successful business and a life that they love. It's an amazing model built on Stephanie's 27-year career of consulting and coaching the biggest and best, brightest firms in our industry and so much more. Stephanie has consulted and coached top firms, thought leaders, and C-suite leaders to greater success. She's a regular speaker and a writer and an author of The Power of Practice Management, Bloomberg Press. She's written for every major publication, including a past column for Financial Planning Magazine. And she continues to write for the Limitless Advisor column for Investment News, which you should all check out. She's also a regular contributor to Financial Advisor, Kitsis.com, and Advisor Perspectives. Stephanie started her first consulting firm at the age of 24, and at 36, she sold that same company in a seven-figure deal to a Fortune 200 company, where she joined their executive team. After four years of integrating and scaling up that offering across thousands of advisors, she left and joined United Capital as SVP of Training and Client Experience, where she worked on the National Practice Model, Training Center, and Client Experience, successfully adopted by thousands of advisors and acquired by Goldman Sachs. But in 2014 and after that success, Stephanie found herself in the midst of a riptide, Even though she was financially successful, there was an even stronger current that left her personally unsatisfied. And so she retired to the beach in Costa Rica with her husband and two kids to continue her search for something more satisfying. It is where Stephanie said the real learning began. So Stephanie spent years studying the science of success and happiness and what she found blew her mind. In fact, one of the many gifts you'll discover about Stephanie Bogan in this episode is her mindset. This self-described lifeaholic and chief possibility officer shares with us abundantly what she's learned from the disciplines of neuroscience, behavioral research, and from coaching thousands of financial advisors. Stephanie discovered the secret to experiencing greater success, happiness, health, wealth, and well-being is not to master your methods, but rather to master your mindset. So even if you're another profession, it won't matter. You will learn so, so much from this episode with Stephanie. It will change your 2021 if you let it. So get your journals and write this quote down from Stephanie at the top of your page. The only limits we have are the ones we place on ourselves in the suite. 
So Stephanie Bogan, wow, take a seat in the suite. I am so, so excited to have you here today. Thanks for being here. I've been looking forward to this for quite a while now. How are you doing today? I'm happy today, Tina. How are you? Good. I'm doing fantastic. It's a Friday. And so, (laughs) (laughs) you know, one of the reasons that I'm even more excited is because we are turning over, literally turning the calendar year over in a few weeks. And it's such an important time for setting goals and, and taking inventory of our businesses and our life. And what astounds me is how this episode in particular has found its way into January 2021 release date. If you believe like me, Stephanie, that there's a rhyme and a reason for for things that happen, I swear I feel that much more is at work here. I ultimately think that if we're in the right frame of mind, things are ultimately working out for us. It's our job to kind of bring the awareness to what the lessons that, you know, anything that we deal with in life, I refer to it as resistance, right? You know, difficulty in any sort of situation is, is that what sits in the space between us and the experience or the outcome that we really want to have. And I think to your point, I mean, I'm in the business of right awareness and disruption and change for a living, but I think we all in terms of timing, because I do think, you know, serendipity is just, you know, one of those interesting coincidences we are at this inflection point that we all normally find ourselves at as part of the natural cycle, right? At the end of each year, as we look at the new year, we take pause and we reflect on where we are in, in, in what all considered like one of the most total views that we sort of pause and reflect on during the course of the year, right? It, it tends to be about this time that we truly stop and take stock of our life experience, right? How are my relationships? How's my career going? How do I feel about my body or my business or my bank account? And it's these very sort of radically candid, honest, authentic moments that we have with ourselves where we get that sense of here's where I am. Here's the outcome and experience that I want to create for myself. And I can pretty clearly see that gap. And at the new year, we tend to take stock of that and then decide what we're going to do about it. There's just one problem with that. I don't know if you've heard the story. Um, I wrote an article on imperfect action this year, which is really my own lesson. But I opened it with this very simple story about there are five frogs on a lily pad, right? And one decides to jump off, right? Because there's something more and better that calls to him. How How many frogs are sitting on the lily pad? Yeah, our math mind says four, right? Because, right, now I said one decided to jump off, mm. right? Five, five frogs are still sitting on the lily pad, right? So mm. the research basically shows by the third week in January, all of those resolutions, right, and the wants and the needs and it's time twos, they basically fall away. And we go back into our habitual patterns of behavior, which is really driven by our conditioned thinking, which is, you know, something I am a super geek and I like to talk about. Which is so great, which is, again, why I found that for you to be here in the beginning of the year of all times made absolute perfect sense. And here's the thing. You seem to be the type of person that never, ever waited for the new year to take inventory of your life and what it is that you wanted to achieve. And and with that said, I really thought that this time that we could approach this episode today in the suite with you, Stephanie, a little different than usual. 
It's 2021. We're all on that lily pad right now. And we want, we're thinking in our head, we definitely want 2021 to be a lot different than 2020. For some people, 2020 was a horrendous and a hellacious year. For other people, 2020 provided the exact kind of kick in the butt to pivot their business, to get on board, to try new things, to start experiment. So, you know, you're a high performance business strategist and a very, very successful one at that. Everyone knows you right now as the CEO and founder of Aduce. Uh, limitless advisor coaching. What a name. <laughs> wow. What you, know, a great I just thought I, I, you know, you know, like I'm a go big or go home kind of girl. So I just was like, well, and it's really, it's just, it really reflects where I am in my life, which I uh, would love to talk with you about. Like I was for anyone listening, I told Tina at the beginning of this, I'm like, oh my goodness, how are we going to get through all this an hour? I'm so excited to be here at this time, because at the end of the day, like Tina said, I mean, I went through this, I'm sure you all did too, is 2020 was the year of the squeeze. And in Mm -hmm. coaching, I talk to clients a lot about uh, when we get squeezed, what's inside comes out. And what I mean by that, Tina, is if I gave you an orange and I cut it in half and I gave it to you and I said, Tina, squeeze the orange, what would I get? Out of my orange right now? No, just in general, what would I get if Someone squeezed an orange. Oh, you'd get juice. What kind of juice? You would get orange juice. Right, but why not lemon juice? Because, because I squeezed it right, because it squeezed an, squeezed an orange. Because that's what's inside. Right. When we get squeezed, what's inside comes out. So in the middle of our biggest challenges are our greatest teachers in terms of what, what you're feeling and experiencing over the last year, personally, professionally, those are your growth points. Those are the resistance points that are keeping you from the up level, whatever it is. And you will not reach it. You won't build the next level of business, a body, of bank account, of any good thing in your life until you can lean into believing that that's what's possible and available to you. And 2020, to your point, for some people, it kicked them in the hiney. Mm. in the hiney. And then for other people, a lot of them were so blessed. Our clients who've been right in the Limitless program for three years had their best years ever. We have five advisor coaches. We had seven this last year have been in the program three years and who sort of like co-teach it with me. And all seven of them had their best years ever last year. And so it really does highlight the fact that when you break out, uh, for me, right, when you break out of the conditioned thinking and the conditioned behavior that creates the conditioned results that are our status quo, you really can get this accelerator effect of, right, we call it the hockey stick in Limitless Advisor. And to your point about why Limitless Advisor, that's why. I think most people know the story, but in general, right, I started my business at 20, my first firm at 24, right? Which is a very interesting age at which to do it. But I had been the director of marketing and operations in a state planning firm that worked in uh, the estate planning and high net worth wealth management space. And a couple of years into that, got to speak at a conference on marketing, which, you know, 20 something years ago, small practices didn't have anybody in marketing. And then a couple of years into that, just got invited to speak. And then people called and just literally took $5,000. My husband, it was in hindsight, it was ridiculously crazy. Mm-hmm. My, I was 24 years old. My husband had just, uh, got, we were both going to school pulled part-time. So we decided it would be quicker if we just finished. So put him in full-time. I quit going and then started the company 
at the same time that we bought a house and we're paying for school cash because that makes perfect sense, right? At 24, of course you do that. But it, my attitude was, well, I'm reasonably employable and here's five grand. If it doesn't work out, I'll just go get another job and you know we'll see what happens. And that was like 27 years ago. No, I'm not that old. 27 years, I was 24, I'm 47 now. So like 23 years ago. So it truly, like, that's literally how my career started, which was, you know, I didn't have any grand plan to do any of this. I just uh, really love talking to people about marketing and growing their practices. It just, it was super what I, what I call about it work energy creating for me. So when you think about years like 2020, right, we'll all sort of segue back to that. When you think about years like 2020, what happened is it squeezed all of us in the ways that we need to grow to elevate our game. Mm-hmm. personally, professionally, as parents, man, who among us was not challenged is a parent this year. And if you say you're not challenged, liar, I'm just going to be like you or you, you need to tell, you need to sell that stuff on Pinterest, right? Because all <laughs> of us were just absolutely taken to the mat on the parenting thing in the last year. And, you know, trying to manage everything that we're managing in our careers and our businesses and, right, the responsibilities that we have. And then these little humans suddenly need us all the time and we're stuck in the middle that, you know, that's a tough place to be. And yet in that, we see where we're squeezed. We see where the lessons are, which is where we can then really understand that we do not fail. We win or we learn. And I'm going to tell you ladies or whoever is listening, when I got that lesson, and it was a number of years ago, but it was part of the unretiring, right? When I got that lesson, it was like a game changer for me because, you know, perfection and control, it's a strategy that a lot of us use. And that was really to your point around Limitless Advisor, right? I built that firm over 12 years, sold it to a fortune tuner company, was super privileged, got to join the executive team. Uh, I say I learned so much about how fortune 200 companies work over those four years that I decided I no longer wanted to work for one uh, and made my graceful exit, Uh, took a year off, traveled the world, went to Turks and Caicos with my family, right? And then uh, went over to United Capital to basically build out the business blueprint, kind of the, the franchise model for the offices and the client experience, which is still one of the favorite, my favorite things to have done. It's like awesome. Um, And what they've done with it is really great. And then a couple of years into that, just realized we'd gotten our third round of equity, right? I had to sign off on every single M&A transaction, right? That they were going to come into the system and really be part of the model. And I had two little kids and I was having, I was getting migraines all the time. I was breaking out Tina in full body rashes. Wow. I'm not kidding. No one, like this is the bigger, like literally I remember I was at the playground with my son. He was maybe five or six at the time. And I was having these rashes and I couldn't figure out like I, you know, and I, I was under the playground, literally Googling, right? Rashes, no other symptoms and like lymphoma, like age five lymphoma, like you have no, you're fine. And then you get these rashes and then you die. And I'm not kidding. I'm sitting on the playground and it like just hit me like tears are running down my face. Like, Wow. What am I doing with my time? Like I'm racing and running and like I could feel the striving and the the stress of my success, as I like to call it. And I had been grappling with this for a long time. And I thought that if I got more successful, it would go away. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And if I just got more successful, it would go away. And if I got more successful, it would go away. Right. And my relationships would get better and my inner Zen would get better and like all those things. And 
you know, when I unretired, people thought it was crazy. Like the question I got, like a thousand emails, like, what are you doing? Like the people were like, you look what you're doing over here. Like, you know, you're like, oh my God, like you just hang out a few more years and you can write your own ticket. And I was like, well, that's awesome. You know, and people literally said to me, this is the worst thing that you could do for your career. Oh boy. I mean, I remember you. So here's, this is rewind years and years back. The last time I saw you, Stephanie, we were in the United Capital office. We were in the conference room. And I remember that you walked in and you were talking about the grand vision of this whole education foundation. And I was, my jaw just dropped to the floor. I'd say, wow, you know, this is a really, really ultra successful woman in the industry who could write her own ticket. And so, you know, you coming out of retirement, I figured that there was something like really, really compelling or probably somewhere even in your spirit and soul that felt that you needed to maybe help more, maybe do more. I learned that I had just galactically missed the freaking point, Mm. which was what is the point of success if you don't have the time and freedom to enjoy it? The reason that people hired me was because they wanted to build successful businesses, but in the end, it was because that meant something to them, right? It was going to create an outcome or experience. And if you've ever founded or led a business, you know that the outcome, right? There's just another outcome to create. And so for me, when I walked away from it all, I did it with, I was very grounded about it. When I left Genworth, which I don't think most people know, they took my name off the book that I had written. They had reached out to Mark DeBurgeon and asked him to write another book. He didn't want to write anymore. He said, call Stephanie. They did, which I thought was the highest compliment. Like if Mark DeBurgeon gives someone your name, that's Absolutely. the highest praise available. Um, so I wrote the book, The Power of Practice Management, which is still a good book, by the way. But when I left, they weren't very happy. So they took my name off of it. That is crazy. <laughs> Yeah, I didn't think it was super cool, but here's the thing. And I was not the me that you all are hearing at the time. I was back in the cover of Financial Planning Magazine with the suit. People laugh at that now. They're like, who is that woman? That is so not you. But that was the, you know, that was the image that that was the suit of armor that I needed to put on to go into battle every day to feel like strong and powerful as a woman in a man's world. I didn't realize it at the time, right? That's like a whole podcast by itself. But for me, it was... What I realized that I was going to spin and spin and spin on that wheel. And I was the princess in the pea. I was literally reading a bedtime story to my child. Mm. And I realized, holy hell, that's me. It does not matter. I have a gorgeous house on the hill. I've been on the cover of Financial Planning Magazine. Bloomberg asked me to write a book, right? I've sold my company for millions of dollars. Like, my gosh, what else I had? You know, a beautiful family. Like, what? Like, success, recognition, financial security, like what more could you possibly ask for? And yet I was never settled. I could not enjoy it. There was always a more that had to happen. And and we can talk about the difference between inspired action and efforted action, but I was stuck in efforted action. And I realized, I didn't realize it until later. I just knew that I I wasn't going to find it on the path that I was on. And I finally got to a place where I could just trust myself enough to know that that in spite of the fact that people were telling me it was the stupidest thing I could ever possibly do, I could really confidently, which was not always the case, by the way, but I could really confidently look them in the eyeballs and say, it might be the worst thing for my career, but I think it's going to be the best thing for me and my family. And if I can get that square, then everything else is going to be okay. 
And I can honestly say after six years in Costa Rica, it was the best decision. United Capital has gone on to do amazing things. The platform that we created and designed as literally they got bought for three quarters of a bit, you know, like a lot of money. Huge amount of money. Huge amount of money. Huge, amount of, huge success story. I have not one ounce of regret, not one iota. I am so proud to have done the work that I have done that I did there to contribute. Joe's vision was fantastic. I think it's a great offering. And, you know, I will always look back on that and be like, that was good work. I feel really good about that work. But that was not the work that I needed to do next to do the real work. And going back to the book story, at the time, I was the kind of person that would get really PO'd about that. Like my husband was calling the lawyer and I was like, I remember it, Tina, I was standing in the hallway of Genworth I had just come out of a meeting and I was not that happy. And I could see the CEO at the time through the glass. And I remember like this well, like I welled up with anger and then it was like nothing I had ever experienced. I got really calm and like not an actual voice, but it was like one of those whispers and it was like, no worries. Mm. It's not the book supposed to write. And in a way that I had never let go of anything in my life, I was like, peace out. It's all good. Don't worry about it. And I just literally walked away. I was like, it's all good. My husband was like, what is up? And I was like, I was like, just doesn't feel good. And that was truly like, that was absolutely the, like that was, as I look back now, that was the turning point where I, like some part of who I genuinely and authentically was, me as a person and a vision and what I wanted and how I wanted to be treated and what I wanted to give the world just said, yeah, this ain't it. And I don't even need to know what's next. I just feel enough into this to know that this isn't it. And that was the scariest thing I have ever done. I lived in the town that I've been in for like 20 years. We knew everybody. My husband was on the symphony board. I mean, and we literally just were like, Look, we're going to move to Costa Rica, like on a dime. Um, and the, the lesson that it taught me is, you know, I can do anything anytime, right? Like, you know, we are our center. And, you know, so all of that really leads to the thing that I love about this year is that if you're ready for it, you know, there's, you know, Buddha saying, right, when the, when the student is ready, the teacher will appear. What I have learned is that our biggest blessings often come wrapped in sandpaper. Yes. I totally, totally agree with that. Often heavy grit. We yes. try to, I, I'm really trying to move into the fine grit variety to be really right. I'm trying to move into the fine grit years. But those things that we look back on, you know, that we're like, I would never want that to happen. We really can. And, and it's because that's what allows the up level. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The things that most challenge us are the things that will contribute to us creating the more and better that calls every single one of us. But you can't get to that more and better versus that stuff that we think we're striving for until you can find a way to get still with yourself and, and really figure out how you're going to show up. Yeah. And I want to pick up on something that you had said, and boy, I love it at a statement. And as we're talking to one of my, one of my favorite quotes is if it doesn't challenge you, it doesn't change you. 
And I think this is along the lines that we're really talking about is that stuff is going to show up in our life. What's really surprising, Stephanie, though, is to hear the, you know, I look at you now again as a very successful entrepreneur, business owner, you know, and and you have, you've done everything. You've been written everywhere and featured everywhere. And to hear you even say the word like unconfident and to be back at a, like a former self and to be able to share that is, is incredible. The other thing I want to pick on and where what you said is the we win or we learn and i can only imagine you i i'm i'm a mother too of of two kids and you know being at that playground and seeing that the inflammation really right is a key or a sign to us that something internally is wrong and when you release it right we can either fight these battles or we can just say you know what in some ways actually we win stronger by just saying, you know what? Hey, you need it that bad, baby. <laughs> you take it because I am on to something much, much better than that. Well, look, I think we all, you know, we kind of, we, we go through these periods and then I think we hit these inflection points. And these inflection points are when I think we're being called to decide, hey, are you, are you going to, are you going to, right? Are you going to pull the card off the table and take the up level? Or are you going to, you know, kind of hang out in the status quo? And I think what 2020 did, whether people like it or not, is it, it put everybody on call and it said, you're going to have to decide. Einstein has this great quote that very few people know. And he said, the biggest decision that any human being makes is whether they believe the universe is friendly towards them or hostile. Mm. Truly. He also said that no problem can be solved with the same consciousness that created it. Exactly. I've and, heard that one before too. Yeah. And there's a lot, he has, he did a lot of research around right light and energy. And he literally, there's a quote that where he literally says it's on my desktop where he says, right. That it is not philosophy. It is physics, right? What we think and believe is the energy. And like, he's like, it's not philosophy. It's physics. Mm -hmm. And so I'm looking at 2020 and we did this with all of our coaching clients as, you know, in coaching, we have these things we call completion exercises, which is you can't learn and grow from something if you can't process it and file it away in a healthy way. But if you don't process your challenges and file them away in a healthy way, they become like stories that stick you and that, right, they build on those other stories that are sticking you. I call it getting, un, you know, how do you unstuck yourself? And so I'm looking at 2021 and I'm challenging everyone to look at 2021 as the year of their breakthrough. Like 2020 was hard, but in those lessons, so we went through an exercise that I call sort of the hardest best, but it's a thank you letter where you literally identify every person, problem, or situation that you experienced over the course of the year. And then you sit down and you really challenge yourself to get clear on what the lesson was, you know, and when you do that, then you can move to the next phase, which is the, the wildly uncomfortable part, by the way, it will challenge you without question if you do it which is then you get grateful for it. You do not leave that and move on to the next issue until you can get grateful, whatever that person or challenge or situation was. And when you do that, you actually, there's a lot of performance hamping stuff that happens in your brain, but it allows you to complete it, get the benefit of the learning and then apply it on a go forward basis. Because the way I look at it to your point, when I say that we don't fail, we win or we learn, the only failure the only failure is in not reaping the benefit of the lesson. There's no ROI in making the mistake. If you can't be aware about it, really honest with yourself, 
take it and make it a learning. And so the thank you letter really challenges you to look at everything that challenged you during the year, whether it was a person, a circumstance, or a condition set, find the lesson in it, and then get grateful for it. And then what you'll find is on the other side of that, you're approaching from what I call an above the line or success day. So there's a ton of research around this. But to your point around how we approach a year or anything, it's about the stories that we tell ourselves. Going into this year, right, you had mentioned, I want to talk a little bit more about Limitless. And did you change your methodology going into, did you yourself pivot Limitless's coaching program because 2020, all of a sudden we had this major disrupt? In other words, it seems like you've been preparing your advisors well for the, the challenges that naturally occur in business and in life. However, the pandemic was in some ways like a punch in the gut. And did you have to do something different strategically to get everyone to rise and to encourage them and to see it really truly as a breakthrough? Uh, Well, I would say a couple of things. One, Limitless, I think in general, to your point around like the name and the genesis of it, when I, you know, when I went to the break, when I retired, I went to, I moved to the beach in Costa Rica, which was a wonderful Right. I mean, it's been six years. I no complaints. Honestly, I recommend everyone spend some time there. It's really awesome. You look pretty good at you. I'm looking at you right now, and and you look well, right now. It's it's easy. To, yeah, I'm in Park City, so I've got my little beanie on, and I'm waiting for, for some good snow. Tuesday is the ski day because everything's reservation scared right now. The whole point of it being limitless was when I unretired. Mm-hmm. What I you know I literally went out because isn't this what everybody does when they retire? I went out and studied the science of success and happiness. And I, and, I, and I ran the PTA because, of course, I needed something to do with my time, uh, which was great, right? I really threw myself into my kids and, and their life experience, which filled me up in a lot of really incredible ways. But I was also kind of on my own journey of really figuring out like, hey, I did all the, I checked all the boxes. I followed all the rules of life. I did the things. I did it in a very different way, right? I didn't follow the traditional room, go to college and all that. You know, my story, just my mother was diagnosed with a mental illness at nine, right? Just a whole different path. But at the end of the day... What I realized with all that success was really a striving for significance. I thought that if I, you know, checked that box or made a certain amount of money, it would give me meaning. And what I realized, and it's super cliche, I know, but what I realized is it doesn't, right? Success in and of itself isn't satisfying. It's it's how you experience it. And this idea about the journey and the destination, I'm so sorry, it's really true. It really is. And you all know it, right? We know it when we get there and it's, you know, there's another corner in another corner and another corner and there's always more to do and when I get this project done I'm going to get my life back in balance and you know those are the rationalizations and the excuses that we tell ourselves because we are compromising because we're not willing in many cases to have the radically candid conversation with ourselves that says am I having the life experience and I'm going to put this in the context of work right is you know am I building a wildly successful practice or business and a life that I love Mm. Is by the way, that was the goal. No one started in this business and said, I want to feel stuck and struggling and undercompensated. And I, you know, I want to be frustrated when prospects don't see my value. And I want my clients to challenge me. And I want to freak out if the phone rings and it's my largest client. I want to go into a panic because I'm worried he's going to fire me. And, you know, that's, you know, I want to feel guilty that I'm not paying enough attention to my big clients because I'm too busy with my small ones. And I'm tired of coming in every day at nine o'clock thinking today is going to be better. And here we go again. Like, we know that drill. 
my question to everybody is why in the hell do you do it? Yeah. And I get it. Like, I'm not saying that from a place of judgment. I did it for a really long time. And so that's a really long way around the reason that we had the reputation and results that we had with Quantumist, right? My first firm. And the reason that I was able to do the things that I was able to do at Genworth and Pritchett, you know, scaling advice and platforms across thousands of advisors effectively and having really high net promoters, like it worked is because I was always, always engaged in the business of behavior and the behavior of business. I just didn't know it. I didn't go to, to college in the way that most people do. I mean, I went to junior college and then, on, you know, I went long enough to re- get my heart broken and then move on and, you know, and to start a company because that's what I needed to do to make a living, right? Like I had to support myself. And so, you know, at the end of the day, I started limitless and I was very thoughtful about that because I really was, there was this moment where I was like, people are going to think I'm crazy, right? I'm like this hard edge, like super smart business expert, right? And I do all these great things. And, and now I'm going to come back and be like, Hey, everybody, it's really all about your mindset. And I'm like, Oh my God, they're going to think I went off to Costa Rica. Right. And I went, woo woo. And, but, but that's what I did. I literally went and I studied the science of success and leadership. And it turns out there's a ton of science behind it. And the behavioral and the neuroscience, and this is the game changer. Like I was sitting on a beach, read this, and it was like, like the universe just smacked me in the forehead. And I literally read, it was a a Carnegie Institute study. And it literally said that uh, there are three factors to success. Environment. And in our context, right, are you with a broker, dealer, custodian, a good one or a bad one, right? East coast, west coast, all sorts of environmental landscapes. Skill, pretty straightforward. That's the easy one, by the way. You have it or you get it. The third, psychology or mindset. Mm -hmm. Okay, you know, that makes perfect sense, right? Attitude is everything. Okay, great. Then the mind-blowing part, like literally stopped me in my tracks, Tina. Success of those three factors is greater than 80% mindset. Mm -hmm. And then really the research goes on to talk about the biggest discovery in behavioral science in 100 years is that events don't have meanings. The voices in our head and the stories we tell ourselves about those events and those meanings create all the good or bad feelings and outcomes in our life. Like literally that's what the behavioral and neuroscience has, right? Like I did not go off to a beach and get woo-woo. Like I studied the science of success. And what I realized was the reason I was able to affect the change I was is because I approached business behavior first. Yeah. I sat down with advisors and said, hey, here's the situation. In order to get you to the outcome, here's what we're going to need to do. Here's what's going to work. Here's what's not going to work. Here's what you're like. Like I was radically honest with them. I got them invested, right? And when people are, in, I got them involved. When people were involved, they become invested. So I was just without knowing it, doing all this behavioral stuff. Mm-hmm. And now we can have a whole separate podcast on how I did that without a degree in right behavioral sciences. And it's genuinely because when I was nine years old, my mother was diagnosed with a mental illness and I literally grew up in crazy. And I realized because it was such a difficult environment that I literally studied people for a living, like not for a living, like to survive. And so when you can figure out how to navigate crazy, you can like, you realize there's a, like you, you learn human behavior in a way that you don't learn it. And I didn't realize that until very recently, but sort of that understanding. And then you add the science to it, which is what I went off and spent a number of years studying right in my spare time in Costa Rica, literally thousands of hours 
studying the neuroscience and the research, which is we have, Tina, on average, 60,000 thoughts a day. Yeah, I've heard that. A lot of the things that you're talking about are themes that that I myself have looked into. And, and thank you for sharing that about your mother. And my heart goes out to you. I have a friend whose son has been impacted severely by COVID and was institutionalized. And so you know, I, I can see it through the lens of our, our friendship, what it's, what it's doing to him. And, you know, I think one of our rescue techniques is to try to understand what the heck is going on around us. And we strive for answers and knowledge and learning and science and whatever we have to pour our heart and mind into so that we can make sense of what is happening. But you picked up on a really important thing. It's, it's one of the things that Oprah taught me. And that is that she, she always stops to say, and it's, I think it's in the book, The Seed of the Soul um, by Gary Zukoff. And that is, what is this here to teach me? What is this here to teach me? And it's incredible, actually. The date is December 18th. Three years ago, I gave my TEDx talk about a horrific story. If you guys listen to the first minute, you'll be like, oh my God, did she just say what she said? Yeah. At five years old, my mother was screaming and my father's hands were around her neck. So, you know, that kind of trauma is a powerful motivation and an incentive and it explains a lot why you've been driven, why I've been driven, and why there's other women listening to this podcast and episode right now who who find themselves. And so how did you go from point A to point B? How do you start to be grateful to show that gratitude for the, the horrific things that have happened in your life or business for that it's, matter? It's funny because, you know, I, I think if, if I listen to the way that people describe me, right, I'm, you know, I'm very confident in all of these things. And I think about my life, right, and the different experiences. And, you know, I share the exact experience. We had, you know, very little money when I was growing up, and it wasn't a constant. And, and my parents would fight horribly. And I, in the middle of the night, came out to my father, you know, my mother was on the kitchen floor, his hands, you know, and it, it's just a thing that you just, you know, it's the kind of thing you never unsee, right? Yeah. And so you, you develop all of these, you know, in our case, my case, attitudes about money, right? Like money didn't mean like, for some people, money means just whatever. For me, it means like, you know, knock down, drag out fights, survival. Like it means a whole bunch of different things. And so what I learned at a fundamental level when I, when I walked away from it all was that, that there's a fundamental difference between inspired action and efforted action. And I, I was as good at anybody at efforting. I had built a multi-million dollar business out of efforting. I built a brand out of right, being the best at, except that the best at is a story that we tell ourselves. Not that I'm not a fan of excellence and everyone who knows me knows that I am because I think if you're gonna do something, right, you gotta go all in. Yeah. Deliver massive value is rule number one. Rule number two, run an excellent business. Rule number three, if you do one and two right, you can enjoy the rewards in the ride, like super simple formula. But we get so driven by the stories that, and this is why I unretired, Tina. Like literally people are like, why did you retire? Now they're like, why did you unretire? And I'm like, 
because there was this crystalline moment and having the childhood and the experiences that I had didn't make me wholehearted. I'm going to be super honest. They made me insecure and like, you know, try being a woman in a man's world and being young and then being, you know, in your early thirties and an executive team and you're meeting with 18 investors and, you know, you've pumped your milk in, you know, you're pumping Mm -hmm. milk in the bathroom stall before the final meeting of your acquisition. Right. And you've got to walk in there. Like, let's be honest like balls on let's go like I got this and I'm like I hope to god they don't know that there's warm breast milk in my baby bag right and like that or or see the little machine there or or hear the machine oh yes or 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 see the milk link out right I have that sound etched in their brain oh I know we do right but what I realized is all of that drive Mm wasn't the authentic me. I wasn't leading from a place. It wasn't that I wasn't good at what I did or that I didn't love it or I wasn't passionate, like none of that. Yeah. But the drive to do the next and the more and the whatever was because there was this insatiable, right? The P wasn't going away and somehow I had to fill it. And when I read this stuff about mindset and I did, you know, a lot more research, I was like, oh my God, I'm in charge of the ship. And this all happened. Like we have 60,000 thoughts a day on average. My husband will tell you I exceed that. (laughs) Um, 85% or more of them are negative. And 95% of those run on a constant replay loop. And we all know who they are. They're the voices in our head and they are not our friends. They say we can't, we shouldn't, we don't know how, we're not good enough, we're not smart enough. They won't listen, right? What, What? And they shrink us and they keep us small. It's our brain's hardwired primitive survival system, right? Our limbic system is hardwired to keep us alive. It is one job. Don't die. Right. Except that we're not cavemen, right? Now we're women walking into a boardroom or we're managing work and family or we have prospects challenging our fees or we're setting the course, you know, for a thousand advisor network. And we've got to figure out like, what's the path that we're going to pursue and where do we draw those lines? Like we have these incredible like litany of decisions that we have to make. And most of the time we make them below the line. Mm. So you're saying below the line, like we're our shrinking selves, right? Not to our fullest potential. If we think about, you know, I'll use an advisor example because everyone will get it, right? If you're an advisor and your largest client calls and leaves a message and you don't know what it is, what's your first thought? Oh my God, there's problem. There's major league problem. They they have to Oh my God, Marshall, like what what happened? I got to figure out what they're unhappy about. I got to fix it before I even know. Like you literally, so if you take a piece of paper and you draw a line across it, right? Left to right, that line is you. That line at neutral or stasis from a brain perspective right, is when your brain chemistry, right, your brain waves, you're in a non-threatened, you're just casual, right, no threat, right, the antelope is grazing in the field. If you are threatened in any way, right, any sense of fear, threatened danger, right, the client calls, the boss calls, you're not going to hit your quarterly goals, whatever it is, your brain does not know the difference between, right, the hungry saber-toothed tiger and getting fired. In modern times, all bad things equal die, Literally, it's the client's calling. I'm going to get fired. All my clients are going to leave me. I'm going to go bankrupt. I'm going to be eaten by a hungry tiger and I'm going to die. Like that all happens in a fifth of a second in our brain. Yes. 
that's not the place from which you want to call the client. And could I just say, by the way, this is the reframing and the power of stories is you're galactically missing the point, which is as the trusted advisor, the client is supposed to call you. You should be excited. Oh, I don't know what Bob wants, but he's doing that thing that says, I value Tina. I'm going to call her and ask a question or get an advice. Or if by chance Bob is unhappy, well, I'm crying. I'm glad he's calling so that I can give him a space to vent his issues because I am his trusted advisor and I'm always acting in his best intent. And I need to identify any gap straight away. And I want to embrace that, embrace that from a place of confidence. Like you should never get that phone call in any scenario and shrink yourself, except that you're human. Me too, by the way. And your brain goes, oh my God, you're going to get fired. And in that second, your brain chemistry changes Stress chemicals of adrenaline, noradrenaline, cortisol, your prefrontal cortex, the part of your brain that's in charge of cognitive, rational, logical thought, the part you want in a crisis, Mm. shuts down completely, completely, because the blood in that part of your brain has to go to your muscles and your heart. Why? Because you got to fight or flight. Like you got to, and you can't fight with a prospect or a client. So you panic and you do not awesome stuff, right? You say yes to the prospect. You take the client that doesn't fit. You don't stand your ground with your boss. You don't right, develop a plan that's super thoughtful because you were too busy. Like whatever the compromise is, we have these compromises because of the crisis of confidence that our stories create. Mm-hmm. And when I figured that out, I was like, oh my God, I have to tell everybody like this is the game changer. Like the idea that perfect is going to get you there. Perfect is a strategy. Control is a strategy. I, I had a PhD in perfect, truly. And the thing I had to learn was perfect will not get you there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It won't because it's absolutely unattainable. Like it's not like this was the year where I realized, oh my God, perfect actually can't happen. It's not possible. It's never, right? Isn't the fallacy of control, like what we can control is our mind and how we can think of things. So as you were talking in this instance, if I'm that advisor, right, in order for me now to not repeat that same thought process, to your point, Stephanie, that goes, you know, maybe less than a whatever, a fifth of a second that my mind defaults to something negative, how do I then train my mind how do I tell myself a different story and adapt a different mindset and, so if, and framing around that? If you want to be, you know, we can separate from business strategy, right? Strategy is yeah. a part of it, right? And this is obviously not the strategy conversation. Not that I don't love those. They're super fun. But from purposes of whoever you are, whatever role you're in, right? Whether you're an advisor, the founder of a firm, right? The leader in an organization. At the end of the day, if you want to be more successful, rule number one is own your mind. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The science is in the secret to success lies in the science of our own behavior. If you get control of your mind, you get control of your outcomes. There is a, we don't have time for me to geek out on you, but there is so much research and neuroscience behind it. Like no one leaves a conversation with me unconvinced that this is solid stuff. <laughs> Can you just please tell me that you're going to write this book? Are you- I know this is right. This is it. It's you be writing a book, Stephanie. I have, I have started the book. And please. Yeah. So, you know, when you learn this, literally that your success is dependent on the quality of your thoughts. Mm-hmm. Now, this is so many, like you want to talk about marriages and parenting. Oh my 
God, we could do that for days, but let's just start with our businesses. Anyone listening to this podcast gets paid to think. If you're an advisor, you get paid to think. If you are a founder, you get paid to think. If you're the leader in an organization, you get paid to think. When you get paid to think, the quality of your thoughts matters immensely. The science says it matters more than anything else, and it's the conversation that no one wants to have. And that's why I'm retired, because I was like, well, somebody's got to do it, and mindset needs to be the conversation, and... Bob Veris, literally, you want to talk about serendipity. I was literally meditating on my deck one day and the whisper came and I was like, eh, nah, I don't know. I'm, I'm, be, I'm really liking being a surf mom. <laughs> this is really cool. And Bob Veris reached out to me and I'm not revealing anything because Angie shared this on, I think, a kids' podcast. But Angie and her partner at the time had split up and they were going through that dissolution. And I'd done a lot of M&A and partnership work. So he just randomly reached out to me and was like, hey, do you think that you could just connect with her? I think you'd be a great person for her to talk to. And I was like, of course, right? Happy to support people. We had a great conversation. And I had said something I think that was really impactful to her that I didn't realize at the time, but she talked about it on the podcast where she said the thing that was really impactful was that she, you know, she was equating the, the breakdown of the partnership with a breakdown personally. I was like, so can we separate the fact that the partnership failed from the fact that you failed? Mm. And like she shares in the podcast, like that was the moment of like, oh, and I call that reframing. And what you're really doing is you're up-leveling your story. So if you want to up-level your stories and own your mind, there's, again, in the interest of time, your brain is hardwired to follow the set of instructions that it has. It's just that our set of instructions is a very conditioned thought set. And it usually happens between zero and seven years of age. So any of us who've been through difficulty or trauma, right? right? Like you're dealing with that, but you don't have to have issues. You can grow up. I have clients who are like, I grew up in a healthy family with loving mother and father. I'm like, I know that's the kicker. Diagnosis human, it's how the brain works. I do this for a living. Mm-hmm. And I can tell you a story like, oh my God, Tina, my son came home. It was, I don't know, maybe a year and a half ago, maybe a year ago, maybe 12 at the time. Mind you, I'm, I'm a coach for a living, right? And he's, he's like, I got a D or an F on this test. And, and I was like, do you want to talk about it? And he's like, or he was trying not to tell me or something. And I was like, you know, what's the worst thing that could happen? You know? And I thought, I swear to you, I thought he was going to say, I'm not going to get my iPad, you know, I'm not going to get my sleepover this weekend. I'm not going to get my digital, right? Yeah. And my 12-year-old son looked at me, maybe he was 11 at the time, and he said, I'm afraid that I'm going to get a bad grade and you're not going to, you're going to feel like I did a bad job and you're not going to love me. And he had crocodile tears Mm. rolling down his face. And I can't remember when I felt like such a failure. I was like, oh my God, I'm such a failure how could this happen? This is what, I mean, I'm in the business of helping people create possibility. Like, And your son is. And then, but that was my limiting. Those were the stories trying to shrink me, right? Like, look what you did and you messed up and you're broken and you can't have a healthy family. And, and in an instant, because I had reprogrammed my mind, which I will, I'll tell you the line exercise so you can all do it. Like, this is literally how I did it. And in a second, Mm-hmm. The voice popped in that said, wait a minute, you have a 12-year-old boy who, when you asked him, what are you afraid of, gave you an honest feeling answer, expressed his emotion 
you created a space in which that was possible, in which he felt safe, in which he could communicate with you, and in which you could then wrap your loving arms around him and do what you never got as a child, which is provide the loving way to process those memories so that they enhanced how you felt about yourself instead of diluted it. And I was like, oh my God, I probably won't win like the gold medal for parenting, but but maybe I planted enough seeds, like just enough that, you know, he'll understand because at one point he was, you know, he's a really bright kid, but he's like ADD, you know, all those challenges. And he was really upset one day. He's having a fight with his dad and I walk in his room and he's, he's like permanent markering on like this table that his Legos are on. And my reaction is like, Oh my God, you know? And then I was like, Nope, it's just a table. I'm raising a board on a table. Absolutely. I walked over to the table. I don't think I can ever tell the story without crying. Do you know what he was markering on the table? No. I am enough. (gasps) Wow. Oh, my God. And I was like, wow. That's unbelievable. I did not have an amazing parenting. Wow. And so I, let's be honest, I developed some bad habits, right? And I've been spending years unwinding them. But I was like, oh, my God, maybe, just maybe all this effort and all of this work, I have planted enough seeds that in those dark, scary moments, that when he looks inside that there is a seed of worth that he can cling to. Hey, listeners, you can now text me at 201-581-3983. That's 201-581-3983 to join our text-based community in the suite. After you do that, we'll be lifting you up, inspiring you, and supercharging your life and your career with awesome quotes, resources, and videos, and tips we learn from our great guests. It couldn't be any easier. Just text 201-581-3983. Those crisis of confidence happen every day. I've got a client I was coaching a couple of years ago, right? Super successful partner in a big firm. And like, she's like, I don't want to like building her team and everything. Great. She's like, every time she had to walk into an executive team meeting and like, she didn't agree with the investment. She was like, I don't like, she didn't know how to stand in her power and speak her voice without either shrinking herself or coming across difficult, which let's be honest, is can be an issue for women, right, in a man's world. And so it's because there's stories there, right? She had had experiences as a child that you don't act up or create trouble. And so as a result, that was the story, right? Good girls don't create trouble. And so we do these things, right? Whether our story is perfection, whether our story is we, we, we're very pleasing, whether it's, you know, if you make a certain amount of money, whether if it's you have a certain, you know, career level and title, like these are the stories that we wrap ourselves in. They're strategies. In coaching, we talk about strategies. In business, we talk about strategies. Perfection is an awesome strategy because you get to wrap yourself in how freaking awesome you are. I am like, trust me, I had a PhD in perfection. I can like, I could teach this course and how much more awesome I am at this checklist or that research or like, no one is going to do it as good as me. And then the problem is for some people, that's true a lot of the time, which just feeds the fire. Like, oh, look, I'm right all the time. 
Not a good thing, by the way, not at all a good thing, but this is the strategy. And yet that strategy keeps us so bound up because from that place, you cannot do energy creating. You cannot do your best work. You do not operate from a place of abundance. You do not, right? You're not, you're not free to do the things that really move the needle in the business because you're in the weeds running the shop because you're so terrified what's going to happen if the process breaks down or the person's judgment is wrong right. because- and again, it's not all behavioral. Like, you know, we talk a lot about it here, but in our, in our business, in our coaching work, like it's 70, 80%, we're talking about the business, but it's how the business and the behavior inter- integrate with each other and how you weave that dance into your leadership to what projects and priorities you choose that determines how quickly and how successful you can be, I guess. So you're teaching a lot of these strategies at Limitless Coaching. And can you talk a little bit about who's the ideal client for the coaching? And I, we have a lot of entrepreneurs listening as well, too. And so is, is Limitless just for the uh, financial services profession? Or if I'm an entrepreneur, a CEO, and a founder of a small private company, uh, you know, do you offer services for, for that and work with people like that? Well, there's different, there's different ways we can do it, but let me, let me explain the basic model because anyone can understand and use the basic model, which is my goal, right? I'm not like I, you know, we 27 years of right business. I've been super blessed and fortunate. I think I've done good work and I've added a lot of value and I've been really blessed to work with some of the biggest, best and brightest firms in the business. And when I unretired, I wanted to make that level of knowledge and know-how available to a lot more advisors, which is why Limitless Advisors started, right? Because truly what the research shows is the only limits we have are the ones that we place on ourselves. So I was like, okay, there is a way to deliver massive value, build a million dollar practice, take a hundred days off, right? And just rock it. And we have proven in three years, like it's, people are like mind blown. Like our advisors are growing like 2X and 3X. They're taking 80 days off. Their clients are getting way better, deeper service. Like people are like, how are you guys doing that over there? And especially and it's, too, it's like 2020, it's a pandemic. I know, like, yeah, and it's, it's like really possible. And again, one, the, the thinking is super critical. Like it really is the secret sauce and the formula, but you layer it. And so these are the four modes of mastery that I would encourage anyone to really think through when they're growing, right? Up-leveling or dealing with a problem. Like I get a lot of crawls around crisis management. I love them because they're right. Like unwinding problems is really a behavioral and a strategy thing, but it's one mindset. Like what is the thinking and the, the thought set that you're bringing to it? And that in and of itself is usually a huge area of opportunity, you know, whether you're a founder or an advisor or managing a leadership team. The second is methods. Like ultimately there are things to be done, right? There's social media strategies, there's operational models, there's building out your tech stack, right? There's laying out your advisor integration models and your comp plan, like all that stuff in huge enterprises or small firms. There's just pulling the levers and running the shop. Right. And, you know, at the end of the day, there are best practices. There are things that work proven time and time again, success leaves clues. So I really want to explain to everyone, like, don't go recreate the wheel, whether it's our coaching or someone else's, like there's a lot of good coaching out there. I just don't believe there's one way. So our coaching model is really about the best practices. And then what I love about us is we bring in advisors who've been through the program, right? Our advisor coaches are advisors who've now been in the program for three years, Ah. radical results. And now they're Right. We're scaling it and making it possible for more advisors because now they're coaching the advisors and creating masterminds. And right. So it's really a way for me to have this huge ripple effect 
and, you know, to work through this really awesome, we call it the good vibes tribe, right? So a, a group of what we call trusted advisors, people that are delivering massive value to clients acting in their best interest, who are running a hyper-efficient business and, right, who are designing it in a way that they can enjoy the rewards and the ride. We call it building a wildly successful practice in life that you love. And, you know, whether it's a million dollar practice with a hundred days off or like a lot of our advisors, you know, take every Friday or 30 days, you know, or they don't work, they work half time in the summer, it's been with their kids. It's that it's all possible. Right, right. It's all possible. And then, you know, really on the strategy side, the work that we do is really about, I call it being uh, sort of a, a company or a leader's or a founder's chief possibility officer. So I think we sit squarely, whether it's coaching or in, or in sort of the personal work, private work that I do, we sit really squarely at the intersection of personal and professional development of the business and the behavior. So if you look at like the work I did at United Capital in terms of really creating that really cool advice model and then having it actually work and being able to scale it and building out the training camp and 10,000, all of that was built on a behavioral blueprint of what is it gonna take to get people to change their behavior, how do I drive adoption quickly? Mm-hmm. How do I make sure I have efficacy? And how do I do that in a way that they feel good about and that aligns the interest of corporate and advisors? And that's anyone in that space knows that is not an easy thing to do. Like that's what all large enterprises are trying to figure out. And so on the strategy side, it's, you know, whatever those strategic issues or problems are, like how do we lever growth? How do we improve our adoption? How do we you know, how do we get our advisors to pay attention to this thing we want them to pay attention to? Is the strategy part of the four pillars you had mentioned? Mindset, methods, what are the other two? Mindset, right? So it's how you, it's the thoughts that you bring, methods, the best practices, momentum. Mm, That's a big word. And then mapping. So mapping, one of my favorite sayings is when your vision is clear, your decisions are easy. That doesn't mean they're comfortable. That doesn't mean they're not you know, there's not work to executing them, but when your vision is clear, your decisions are generally pretty easy, which is, you know, if, a, if you're clear on your value and a prospect challenges you, no different than that situation with my son, right? If a prospect challenges many advisors, right? The response is, oh, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to lose the client. I have to compromise the fee, or I have to figure out this, you know, tap dance of a conversation to prove how worth it I am. Ladies, just stop proving anything, first of all. Like, we live behind the walls of protect, prove, hide, and defend. Mm-hmm. Men do too, by the way, but we, we are all subject to that. But, but this idea of mapping is that when you're clear, your decisions are easy. What, what happens is if you feel like this is the value I'm delivering and this is what it's truly worth, and you're, you're square on that, when that prospect looks you in the eyeballs and says, hey, because here's what's happening. Our brain hears you know, it's all money is good money. It's all money or no money. It's yes or no. Yes is right. You can't fight them and you can't run away. Yes is the only survival answer. And so we create this habit loop for ourselves. And the reframe there, and we'll go through the exercise, but the reframe is that when you're not operating from a crisis of confidence, when you're operating from that above the line success state, and I'll tell you how to get there, you see a completely different story. You see what I see. What you see is a prospect looked online, did their homework, spent the time to walk into your office, spend an hour or an hour and a half with you, listen to what you had to say. And they said, yeah, I would like me some of that. Except that for whatever story they have in their head around price and value, they've decided that what they essentially want to say to you is, I think that's great. I love that. I would like some. And I think that it has a lot of value. 
hmm, I just don't think it has the same amount of value that you do. So do you think that you could give me all that awesome sauce with all the same love, care, and attention that you give all those clients who totally got it and appreciate your value? Do you think you could just answer my phone call with the same level of commitment and investment, but could you do it for 25% less, please? Mm -hmm. And if a prospect asked you that, you would say, hell freaking no. You would not say yes, but they don't say that. They're like, oh, you know, would you, would, you, would it be okay? And, our, and we allow ourselves to get sucked into the story of all clients are good clients or yes is the only good answer. But if you're abundantly clear on what you're trying to build, which for people in limitless coaching, right? Let's call it a million dollar practice, right? hundred days off. You know that you can only work with about a hundred clients. For some people, it's 50. For some people, it's 150. But when you know, I call them Goldilocks clients. When you know who your just right clients are, and you get really clear. And ideally, if you specialize or create a niche, you can add so much value. And I can't, I don't even know, like, why does not everybody do this? You can add so much value, so much more efficiently. And ultimately, right, create that accelerator effect where you ultimately have this really ideal practice. You have all this time and freedom to enjoy it. And then you can decide what you want to build from there, right? Or if you're running a big organization, but this stories that stand between us and the more and the better are what we need to deal with. But the stories come up in mapping. So when I sit down with my clients, I'm uh, taking on a new client and she's uh, she started a firm, uh, not in financial services, and uh, it's a $15 million company. They had uh, private equity investors. Uh, she stepped out and she wanted to, but that's not going great. So she's, she's stepping back in. Um, right. And it's that same thing, which is what are we going to do going forward? But it's all the complicated business stuff, right? Going to the boardroom and what about this and what about that? And whether you're in a small business or you're running a bigger one, it's that intersection of those four things. Right, Matthew, right. Where are you going? Right. Methods, what are the tools and the levers, right? The skills and abilities, the people, the process, the platforms, the partners that you're going to get there with. What's the mindset or thinking that's going to best get you there? in the most right, easy, efficient, and enjoyable way. We just give up way too much of the enjoyable. And then momentum is, it's our personal force, right? Are you being dragged in every day? Are you like, girl on fire? Like, I've got a mission and I want to go to it. And, you know, momentum is a thing to manage all by itself. So those four elements, when you really get clear on those four modes, what's the mindset I'm bringing to this situation? Am I using the right methods? you know, what's my momentum, you know, we'll talk about that line, you know, is this the line with the vision? It gets really clear, right? Whether you're a, the, a founder of leader of a big company or you're an advisor running a practice. And then you're able, now you have a framework for great decision-making that could create the overflow in your life to do the things that you want to do to make life enjoyable, because it is about the journey, not about the destination I can identify with so many of the things that you're saying. I have been tripped up by, you know, that, that continuous wheel of perfection and success and all of that. And I found that when I really let it go, I just, when I took my foot off the gas and when I started to say no, you know, it is really scary, Stephanie, to say no to someone who wants to pay you money and you're an entrepreneur. And I had felt so empowered and sure enough by doing that, uh, you put like now all of a sudden you have an opening, like you have an opening for the right person to walk through it. And if you believe, if you're telling yourself the right story that saying, you know what, 
good for you. Good for you that you are so clear on how you can provide value, who you need to work with, what brings you joy. Are you the great fit? Can you deliver right over and over again? And that this particular potential client didn't meet that. Then I was above. I was above. And that's, that's the reframing. So let's go through it. Cause it really yeah. is that exercise right? you take a blank piece of paper, you draw a horizontal line from left to right pretty straightforward. Draw a plus above the line and draw a minus below the line. And remember, you're the line. So what I always tell people is, because people are like, you know, how do I know if it's a mindset thing or a method thing? Like, how do, you know, how do I know what kind of, you know, what I need to deal with? And I'm like, look, if you have a persistent issue or problem, right? If it's a thing that happens here and there, right? Someone cuts you off in traffic, you get mad, right? You get angry and then you move on. Like, that's different, Right. But there, if there's a persistent problem, you've got a staffing issue that you're not addressing, you've got partnership issues and trying to figure out what to do with your business strategy. Do you do this or you do that? And you're, you know, you're going around your head and we, you know, spinning around your head, trying to figure out what it is, you know, anything that you don't have just clarity and action on that keeps showing up is that resistance that we talk about. So here's how, you know, there's work to be done. Tina. Have you ever identified things that aren't working for you and then fixed them or had a goal and then gone out and done it? Yes. Okay. So why would we not do that in every area of our life consistently? You would think that we would do that. And then I guess that some old ways of thinking holds us hostage. Different stories. We have different relationships, right? I call it relationship with money. We have different stories about money. We have stories about relationships. We have stories about how women act in a man's world. We have stories about what people are going to think or what they expect or what the prospect's going to say or what that outcome is going to happen if we don't do fill in the blank. And those stories drive so much of what we do. But what the science says, and this was the mind-blowing part, is that that's happening beyond just beneath our awareness. It's happening subconsciously. Those subconscious stories that our mind forms in childhood and through our formative experiences in life, it's like, think of it as just uploading a software program. It's going to happen no matter who you are. It's not a good or a bad, it just is. It's like you have two arms and two legs and you upload stories because your brain processes, are you guys ready for this? Your brain takes in 11 million bits of information a second. Hmm. It can only consciously process 40 bips. So it needs like some serious shortcuts to process the other 10 million and change. And there's a part of your brain I call a res, your reticular activating system, which basically filters everything you see here and experience against every memory history that you have, which frames those stories. And in a fifth of a second, Raz decides how you feel about this, how you're going to behave, how you're going to decide what thoughts you have. And she offers it up. And the science says 90% of the time it's in survival state that we are operating from a place of survival, which is not where we make our best decisions. So if you think about that line, that line is your state. When something, here's how you know there's work to do. You ready? Yeah. And I have my, you got to go to a fancy school for this, Tina. Are you ready? I know. I am so excited. Look, I've got my paper here. Here's the, here's how, you know, there's something to work on. Oh, I know there's lots to work on. I'm I'm saying I need a bigger piece of paper. It doesn't feel good. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's the clue. So if you look at your life and you like, you can do your business, you can do your body, right? You can pick your relationships. You can pick any part of it and what's above the line and what's below the line. 
So I love to use this exercise with time. So no matter who you are, whether you write or an advisor running a $150 million company, time is one of your big issues. I just know that because you're human. And I spent yeah. a lot of time talking to my clients about how they, I call it bending reality, how they completely reframe their relationship with time. Time is your greatest revenue producing asset. Mm-hmm. Now we have also look at this page and then you can, I'll tell you how to apply it to different parts of your life, but we're going to do it in time because it applies to everyone. Tina, audience, whoever's listening, I want you to think about the things that you do that are energy creating and revenue producing. All of those things go above the line in the positive category. Energy creating, revenue producing. Revenue producing. Everything above the line in general, right? As you look at it as sort of a representation of your life and you, everything above the line is positive, empowering, right? Your brain chemistry, right? You've got all the happy chemicals, right? Serotonin, dopamine, all the good stuff. Abundance happens in this state, joy, creativity, every great idea of inspiration that you ever had, every leap of faith that you ever took, every insight that ever came to you on a shower or on a run happened above the line. I call this success state. Your actual physiology is different in this state. Your brainwave frequency, the chemicals, right? The neurochemical cocktail you're giving yourself. That's by the way, everybody goes home and has a cocktail every night because they're all stressed out and they want to counterbalance that. And it's a really quick and efficient way to do it. So that like, we're all trying to get back to that feel good state or at least to neutral. But the science says that we spend greater than 70% of our time below that line in that stressed out survival state. We parent from here. We be married from here. We make decisions about what to put in our body and what to work out. Like we make all of our decisions, right? How to deal with our staff, whether to grow, whether not to grow, what to charge, whether we should charge, whether we're confident, all of these decisions are made either above or below the line. You want to be more successful. Just stop making decisions from below the line and your life will change. You can, your life can be unrecognizably better in one year, Mm -hmm. one year. Time and time again, if you get your thinking above the line, you get yourself into success state, you challenge and disrupt your stories and your conditioned thinking at every, right, whether it's your business strategy, like we go through this exercise, executive teams love this, blows their mind. We do the business planning, we set the goals, and then I'm like, I do this with advisors too, like double it. (laughs) They're like, what the? I'm like, no, I'm not getting double it. Like what? I'm like, now tell me how you do that. What will it take? Right. We get even our, the question set or the condition set. Like I call myself a chief possibility officer for a reason. And I love the title, by the way, it was the first time you're the first one that I've ever heard use it. I love it. I can't, I like, I try to beat it up. I'm like, I'm not a life coach. I'm not, you know, I mean, I am a business strategist. I'm like, what do you, I'm like, I don't know. I'm just a chief possibility officer. I just see, I see what's possible. And then I'm like, well, let's go do it. And so I learned through the science of failure, as I like to say. But, you know, when we realize, when you realize that the secret to the more and better that calls you, and we all have it, it's just the way that we go about getting it that creates what I call the stress of success or the being stuck or the struggling. Like you can't get ahead when you're busy struggling to keep up. Right. You just can't. And when you can create just enough awareness, like I was able to do, and that's why I'm retired because not everybody has the benefit of retiring to a beach in Costa Rica. Um, I get that I'm super blessed. And I was like, I got to tell people about this. This is crazy. Like all this stuff I did to myself, like my brain decided all these things on my behalf without my knowledge or consent. 
And all the science says the secret to all filling all these holes and gaps and feeling the way that I want to feel on a consistent basis and creating not the dollar signs, but the outcome and the experience I want to create in this short trip between two eternities, which is how I look at life, irrespective of what you believe happens on the other side. I think we can all agree it is a very short trip between two eternities. So I am a self-proclaimed lifeaholic. I want to squeeze all the juice I can. Mm-hmm. And if that means that I have to smack myself in the face and disrupt myself and ask myself, how I show up as the best version of myself as a business person, as a coach, as a mother, as a human being, like that's what I'm going to do. I love it. So at the top, we're putting our, what's creating our energy and what's, what are those revenue producing uh, activities? Are, Are you also saying that then should we write out the stuff that's almost like holding us back on the bottom or do we just kind of ignore that part? Above the line is everything that is energy creating revenue producing as far as your time goes, right? Of speaking of this, yeah. Everything below the line is energy draining and or revenue dilutive, right? If you're an advisor, there is no amount of paperwork, para planning, client service that is, right? Time is your greatest revenue producing asset. Stop throwing it away. Okay. But everyone from advisors to, right, the leaders of big, big firms give away 50% of their time, on average, at least 50%. So if there was one thing that we could do within the next 90 days that would have the most positive impact on our mindset, would it be this exercise or would it be something else in conjunction with this exercise? It's the exercise with the reframing. So there's like a a, a four-step conversation, right? So you can take any situation, right? The prospect calls and, you know, I've had the prospect, you know, a prospect challenges my fee, right? They want me to discount my fee, right? What's above the line for that, right? As an advisor, when you think about clients, what's above the line for you? Hey, someone, um, you know what? Joyce is calling with a referral. She just referred me last week. She probably has another one. So it's something positive, something that's going to create a great outcome. Yeah, I define that pretty simply, right? For someone to be a just right client, aside from meeting like your, you know, whether you have a niche or a minimum, right? Aside from that, they need to be three behavioral, technically four behavioral characteristics. Motivated, Mm -hmm. able to see the value and willing to pay. Now, ideally, to be a great client, they also need to be a fourth thing, which is, right, willing to follow your advice. Yeah. If someone is not motivated, able to see the value and willing to pay, they're not a good client and you don't want them. They're a great client for someone else, just not for you. Right. And when you get clear on the fact that you can do your best work with a certain subset of clients, whoever they are, whatever business you're in, and that your job is to deliver massive value to that subset of people better than anyone else. You can, charge as, you can charge any fee you want as long as you deliver value in multiples excess of it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's the, as long as you do that, you're fine, right? So I have clients that charge $3,000 a year and I have clients that charge $300,000 a year, right. right? But they're serving different clients and they're delivering different value propositions. And so when you think about the line exercise, whether it's your time, so from a time perspective, if you list out everything that's energy creating revenue producing above the line, everything else below the line, if you want to be more successful, just get rid of everything below the line. Delegate it, delete it, right? It's who, not how, which is a great strategic coach concept. I can't take credit for that. The exercise then in a coaching environment is you take that line and you draw it out over 12, 18, 24 months and everything below the line in those time horizons gets delegated, deleted, or pushed off to someone else, right? To technology, people, process, or platform. 
so that your 12-month plan isn't go grow X or do Y. Your 12-month plan is leverage my greatest revenue producing asset, which is my time, which is when I operate from a success date in an energy creating revenue producing activity. Usually there's about three things for most people, right? We're not doing 20 things that are like, for me, it's speaking strategy and solutions, whether it's writing and speaking or podcasts like this, it's strategy. Like, Ooh, what are we going to do here? And then the actual solutions, let's go do X. Like, here's what I think we should do. I can do those things all day long. I could do them for 18 solid hours and I have, and I'm not remotely tired. Right. Yeah. And if you do those things, 70% of the time you will grow. I promise you, you will grow. Right. The problem is, is we get stuck in all that other stuff and we don't have a strategy at an organizational level in terms of people, process, platform, or partner for how we just create an environment in which, think of it as the entourage concept, right? We're the talent mm-hmm. and everything around us, whether it's one virtual assistant, right? Or a team of 200 is not the point. It is about how you leverage your time and talent in the business model that you're in. And everyone can do that. So if you look at that and you draw it out and you just get rid of the things below the line, it means you're going to spend almost all of your time on energy, creating revenue, producing activities. Right. And, and you're this it's step- inevitable that you will be more successful if right. you do that. We all want that. It's that everything in between, I can't make the investment. I can't outsource. They won't do it as good as me. What about this? Like, If your why isn't bigger than your what ifs, you will not change. You will not do things differently. I would love for you to let advisors know, uh, people listening, how they can get in touch with you, how they can even just follow all of the thought leadership and everything that you're putting out. This is really, really good stuff. Well, thank you. I'm, that's really nice of you to say. Um, they can visit limitlessfa.life. And then the different offerings, there's obviously information about our background and approach and the different offerings from the group coaching to what we call leaders consulting, right? Where I'm working with people, you know, leaders and founders one-on-one so that, you know, all of that information is there. And then obviously you can contact us via the website. We're happy to talk to you. But yeah, it's, you know, I think the one thing that I would love for people to think about with the with the exercise, and obviously, of course, if you guys want to reach out to us, I'm always happy to, to talk to people. But I want to make sure that as a takeaway, that when you think about that exercise, mm-hmm. that whether, right, whether you ever call us or not, that you understand the power of what that can do. Like as a parent... Before, you know, back in, back in the days when we right went to work and then drove in the driveway, like I would, before I would go into the driveway, you know, before I'd go into the house, I would be like, am I above or below the line? And if I'm not above the line, like I've set work down, I've right, kind of let it go. I've gotten present and I've asked myself, what's my intention, right? As I walk into my home as a wife, as a person, as a mother and get to that good present state. And then I walk into that from that success state, right? Clarity of intention, right? Grounded. I've let the day go. And just won't walk into the house. Like the, the exercise was, I just wouldn't walk into the house until I told my husband, like, might take me five minutes, might take me 15 minutes, but we don't give ourselves those buffers, right? And there's a million ways that it shows up. But anything, if you look at your life, right, we're hitting January. And I always, we just did this in the coaching program for next year. We just sent out this exercise around the clarity guidebook and the big why, right? What's your big why? Which is, right, when you think about the amount of time that you're applying at work, not only is there the income component, so you have a goal there, but when you think about the impact and the influence that you want to have with that time, Mm -hmm. and then what you want to do with the reward of that outside of it, like, what's the big why? And when you're clear on that, and then you can figure out what business model, right, how you alter or adjust your business model to it, 
But at the end of the day, if you're clear on the why, and then you sit down with that line exercise and you put everything in your life that is above the line, that is positive, empowering, right? Serving you, loving you, growing you, giving you joy, right? Whether it's your marriage, your business, and then below the line, you get radically candid with yourself and you write everything that isn't. And then the real question is, what am I going to do differently? And that is like, that is the gap between what we know and what we want and what we actually do and what we actually have. And the line is an exercise that allows you in any situation to say, where am I? Am I above the line or below the line on this, right? Am I in that success state? I feel positive, empowered, can do, everything's figure outable. I'm operating from a place of confidence and abundance. Or am I operating from that survival stressed out state? Like, oh, I have to, I should, I can't, I don't, right? Are those voices in my head screaming so loudly that I can't really take the action that aligns the tongue in my mouth with the tongue in my shoes Mm -hmm. so that they're moving in the same direction because that's how we create the vision of the more and the better that calls us. We have to align the tongue in our mouth with the tongue in our shoes. And that is a behavioral gap. That is never a business gap. The strategies can always be found. Everything is figure outable from above the line and success state. But if you find yourself not feeling good about any situation, your marriage, your body, your bank account, what's above the line, what's below the line. And then those stories, whether it's a prospect or something else is, the, the, the model is, what is what's happening? Someone's challenging my fee. That's what's happening in the typical universe, right? Right. What's happening really is the question you ask yourself next. What's really happening here? Oh, the prospect is challenging my fee, right? You're not, obviously, to your point about like that switch that I was able to do with yeah. my son, you go through this over and over. You're always reframing the negative into the positive. There is no ROI in negative thinking. Your job is to retrain your brain. Mm-hmm. Those limiting stories that are disempowering that you can't, you shouldn't, you don't know how. You got you to gotta toss that stuff. And I work with some incredibly successful people. And I promise you those stories, they like to stay. They happen to everybody, right? They happen that's to a, that's everybody. That's they happen a everybody. everybody. Yeah, that and was. When you just accept that, like, hey, yeah. it doesn't mean we're on the couch crying about your mother. It doesn't mean that. Coaching yeah. is about where you are and how you move forward, right? Therapy is about healing. And sometimes it's necessary. And that I'm not a therapist. I'm a coach and a strategist. So it's about where we are. Let's get grounded in the reality of that. No judgment. Is it serving you? Literally every aspect of your life, every aspect of your business, your people, your process, your platforms, your profit margins, right? Your client experience, what's above the line, what's below the line. And then how do we fill the gap? And the story is like in that prospect situation or anything else, one, what's really happening? What's really happening is I'm insecure about walking to the boardroom and making this pitch because, you know, the story in my head is, right? I'm afraid to call the client back because the story in my head is they're going to fire me, right? And if that, and then the next question is, is it really true? Right. And that's where you get grounded in, well, wait a minute. Yeah. And that's what co- good coaches do, right? It's why we learn and grow, right? It's why we read is, hey, I, there's more knowledge out there. And that knowledge is, hey, I can reframe that story, which is when you're grounded in your value. When you know that you're going to work with 100 or so just right clients, you're going to deliver massive value to them and they need to be motivated, able to see the value, willing to pay, and that you don't want to compromise that because it's going to compromise the value you deliver to clients or the outcome, the value you deliver your own life, which is a fair exchange, by the way. When you're not no willing, no longer willing to make that compromise, do you know what happens every single time? What? Better clients come. 
Mm-hmm. I'm not, I cannot make this stuff up. People call me and they're like, oh my God, I did this thing. I got my first $5 million client. Oh, I did this thing. We just landed our biggest client ever. Oh, I had a client call me last year. He's like, my $80 million client is challenging me in March. He wants to take all his money out of the market. And I was like, no, 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 I can't. Right. So we had to completely reframe the 25% of his revenue, by the way. And he literally went back to the client and said, if you want me to be your, tri- I, great. I wrote an article on it. If you guys want to read the details of yeah, it. Yeah. You know what? We're going to put all these, yeah. you know, all of these, everything that you've talked about today in the, in the show notes, there have been an amazing amount of resources and yes, every single article, even to some of the earlier podcasts that you've done that, that I've listened to on Michael Kitsis. I think you're the only person there who's been on that podcast like three times. I learned something every single time I listen to you, Stephanie Bogan. My, my hope, and I think you're operating in the swim lane, my hope for everyone, this was when I really distilled down what I learned right from unretiring and re-retiring and the work that I do is one of the fundamental learnings that I took away. And I would like, this is one thing I want to share with every human being on the planet is there is a fundamental difference between inspired action and efforted action. And what I was doing for all those years, not that you can't be successful by the way, but you know the feeling of, I call it the stress of success or it's the grind where you're like, God, I wanted to be successful and now I'm here and wow, this is not, you know, like this isn't like, it's not at all what it cracked up to be. And now I've got all this burden and responsibility and fear of falling and, you know, all the stuff that comes with it. And that's not what any of us intended. Mm-hmm. And when you are a successful business owner, the most, this is, maybe this is just me, but for all the people I've talked to, it's pretty clear. Founders and like, you don't want to lose your edge. Like you don't want to have to be all like hard and perfection and control and drive and drive, but you're terrified that if you stop, that your world's going to completely fall apart. Your brain is like, that is not how the world works because that's the conditioned thinking that we are taught. And I unretired because I realized that inspired action is infinitely, infinitely more effective than efforted action. People are like, how do you guys do what you do over there? Like Stephanie. And I'm like, when you get in a place where you're operating above the line, any situation, when you start to get above the line consistently and operate in that success state, you are going to see accelerated results because anything below the line starts to get dealt with. And I'm not saying it happens overnight, right? But your level of commitment determines your pace of change. And ultimately, when you start to deal with the things that are stuck in you and you're willing, I always say, when you want to be more successful, you get you got to get used to being uncomfortable. When you're willing to do the up level and you're willing to do the work, it's just not the work that most people think it is. When you're willing to do that work and you get to a place where you commit to creating success from above the line without hesitation, apology, or compromise, I call it the five freedoms of limitless advisors or epic entrepreneurs, which is freedom number one, work with purpose on your terms. My terms are 25 hours from a beach in Costa Rica. Like those are my terms. That doesn't work for you. It's totally okay. Right. I'm going to do the coolest stuff I can do in 25 hours a week from right. Right now it's Park City, but right. Right. The the beach or the slopes, whatever it is. Right. For our advisors, some of them, it's 100 days off. Some of it's every Friday. Some of it's, you know, 15 hour weeks in the summer. Like whatever you want is possible. Truly. Mm -hmm. Freedom number two, do work that you love. My God, life is short. Don't don't do anything else. And I mean, even in a daily basis, don't be doing paperwork if you don't like paperwork. If it's not energy creating and revenue producing, get rid of it. Find a way or make one. I promise it's possible. You will be infinitely more successful. Every story you tell yourself about why you can't, shouldn't, or don't know how is just holding you back. Freedom number three with people you enjoy should be self-evident, right? Clients and team, 
Freedom number four, I do a lot of work with very successful people on this one and people who want to be more successful, which is experiencing all the financial success you desire. Mm -hmm. All possible. You just have to figure out what it is for you. And five, which is the one that I had to retire to the beach in Costa Rica to figure out, is live a life of happiness, fulfillment, and contribution. And to me, if you're going to engage in business in any way, shape, or form, and you're going to invest some of that limited time and energy in between those two bookends of eternity, not only should you have a really healthy income in exchange for the value that you're delivering, right? So it's on you as a business to do it, but you should be able to have whatever kind of impact and influence that you want and be in that feel good above the line state. Not all the time. I'm not a Pollyanna, right? I'm just an obsessive optimist in that I understand that the way that I think and feel and the outcomes I create are a choice that I make every single day based on the thought set and the feeling set that I'm bringing to my work. And so my number one objective every day, which is so not old Stephanie, is feel good. I need it to feel good. If it doesn't feel good, I don't want to do it. And I've just learned that doesn't feel good. I'm not going to do it. I'm going to change it. I don't like PowerPoints. I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm going to do something different. And it's mind blowing when you get into that state of I'm going to operate from a success state, right? From the best version of myself as the best leader, create the best business, deliver the best value that I can and do it from this place of inspired action where the why and the outcome that I am compelled to create draw me because I can do it in a way that allows me to have an experience that has equilibrium and enjoyment, right? I am not sacrificing myself to create success. My success edifies me and the people that I touch. That's the mojo. And so that's why I do what I do because I think that's possible. And it is possible. And And I want to thank you for being here today in the suite. You have inspired us Boy, this has been a phenomenal episode. We've never gone longer than we have here with this episode. And I am so, so happy. There was no way that we were going to cut the tape on this. I have to tell you so. This is phenomenal. But here's the thing is that, I, and I want to just say this and then, and then we can end, is that I not only feel inspired, and I listen to a lot of things to do a lot of reading, it's the, the, that you've given us a framework for activity and action and execution after that, right? You can all feel great and positive and change your mindset, and that can be fleeting unless you actually do the work. What you have inspired us to do is not only how to think, but you've given us a framework for action and execution so that we can indeed act above the line, go with inspired action over efforting. I love it. Again, I can identify so many listeners can hear what you gave us for 2021 is a true, true gift. I want to thank you for coming out of retirement. (laughs) One of the reasons that created this podcast is because it is inspired action because I wanted to engineer something that I myself was in search for. And again, who better than you, Stephanie Bogan, to give us this framework. And again, I'm so inspired, so blessed, and so grateful for your time today. Thank you so, so much for taking time out of your trip. It's such a privilege. I'm so blessed. And thank you so much for the invitation. And I think a lot of the work that I'm doing, particularly on the on the on the coaching and personal side now is with, you know, empowering women leaders, right? Because it's an experience that I understand. And I think the work that you're doing with the podcast is very much, you know, very much in that vein. And so I really, I applaud you and I'm glad that you're creating a space for these conversations because I think it's true for anyone 
But right, as I mean, we didn't even have that conversation, but right, as a woman who started, you know, in her early 20s in this profession, like I, I understand, like showing up in an empowered way so that we can appear, you know, strong, not hard. They're very different things. And we're so afraid as women that if we if we're not strong, which is often hard, that we're going to be perceived as soft. And so if if any of this is helpful to anyone listening in terms of how to elevate their thinking in a way that elevates their experience, then I've done good work today. Thank you, Stephanie. Happy 2021. Happy 2020, y'all. Go make it the year of your breakthrough. Go big or go home. listening to In The Suite, a podcast that shares amazing stories of women in business in the financial services and the wealth management industry. Our producers are Tina Powell and Kevin Hershorn. Our editor-at-large is Kevin Hershorn. Our content writers are Carmen Varner and Tina Powell. Our research and technical assistants are Rachel Powell, Sarah Smirker, and Kimmy Rice. In The Suite podcast is sponsored by C-Suite Social Media, a digital marketing and social media agency for C-Suite leaders and companies in finance and technology. You can visit csuitesocialmedia.com to learn more. And thank you so much for listening and subscribing to In The Suite podcast. We are so grateful to you. We've got listeners in 481 cities and 32 countries. This podcast was inspired by you and created for you ladies. So please let us know how you enjoyed this episode with Stephanie Bogan and share your thoughts on LinkedIn and Twitter, hashtag in the suite. You can connect with her on LinkedIn and Twitter at Steph underscore Bogan. That's S-T-E- P-H underscore B-O-G-A-N. And you can check her out at www.limitlessfa.life. And always, if you would like to share the name of a rock star woman in financial services, we should consider interviewing in 2021. Please send it to me at Tina at C-Suite socialmedia.com. And thank you so much for listening and subscribing to In The Suite.